Mary, where are we going? Well, Lorraine, it's May 1st, 1912, and today is the dedication of the site of the magical Ascar, the house of worship in the West. Oh, I didn't recognize Well Met. I see Lake Michigan now. Yes, and there's the tent where Abdu'l-Baha will be speaking, and over there is where he will lay the cornerstone. Let's go inside the marquee. It looks like there are 300 seats in here, and at least 200 more people are standing. Don't you love the pattern? The chairs have been made into a circle facing the center, with nine aisles leading to where Abdu'l-Baha will stand. Oh, terribly sorry. I didn't mean to bump into you. That's okay, my dear. Um, excuse me, are you Nettie Tobin? Didn't you donate the stone for the dedication today? Yes. I prayed that God would send me something I could offer as a gift. I earn only a modest amount as a seamstress, so I, I went to a nearby construction site and told the foreman about the temple and then asked if I could buy an inexpensive stone. Well, how much did it cost? He liked my story and brought me to a pile of broken limestones that couldn't be used for building and said I could take one. With the help of a neighbor, we, we wrapped a large stone in a piece of carpet and dragged it home. Then to get the stone here, we had to carry it by hand. We took two streetcars and then used a wheelbarrow. It was difficult, but praise God, my humble offer was accepted. Did you hear that? Abdu'l-Baha's taxi car just arrived. You're listening to The Journey West Podcast dedicated to following the travels of Abdu'l-Baha in the West. Welcome to the podcast. This week's topic for the show centers around houses of worship and their purpose. This is especially exciting because of the 2012 Rizwan message from the Universal House of Justice, the governing body of the Baha'i faith, announcing two national and five local houses of worship to be built. The House of Justice describes the scenes at the top of the show so well that we thought we'd share an excerpt. Mid-afternoon on the 11th day of the Rizwan festival 100 years ago, Abdu'l-Baha, standing before an audience several hundred strong, lifted a workman's axe and pierced the turf covering the temple site at Gross Point, north of Chicago. Those invited to break the ground with him on that spring day came from diverse backgrounds. Norwegian, Indian, French, Japanese, Persian, and Indigenous American, to name but a few. It was as if the house of worship, yet unbuilt, was fulfilling the wishes of the master, expressed on the eve of the ceremony, for every such edifice, that humanity might find a place of meeting, and that the proclamation of the oneness of mankind shall go forth from its open courts of holiness. His listeners on that occasion, 
And all who heard him in the course of his travels to Egypt and the West must have but dimly comprehended the far-reaching implications of his words for society, for its values and preoccupations. Still, today, can anyone claim to have glimpsed anything but an intimation, distant and indistinct, of the future society to which the revelation of Baha'u'llah is destined to give rise? For let none suppose that the civilization towards which the divine teachings impel humankind will follow merely from adjustments to the present order. Far from it. In a talk delivered some days after he laid the cornerstone of the mother temple of the West, Abdu'l-Baha stated that among the results of the manifestation of spiritual forces will be that the human world will adapt itself to a new social form that the justice of God will become manifest throughout human affairs. These and countless other utterances of the Master, to which the Baha'i community is turning time and again in this centennial period, raise awareness of the distance that separates society as it is now arranged from the stupendous vision his Father gifted to the world. Beloved co-workers, the ground broken by the hand of Abdu'l-Baha a hundred years ago is to be broken again in the seven more countries. This being but the prelude to the day when within every city and village, in obedience to the bidding of Baha'u'llah, a building is upraised for the worship of the Lord. From these dawning points of the remembrance of God will shine the rays of His light and peel out the anthems of his praise. This truly is an amazing time. Let's go back a few days, though, in 1912, and hear the talk given by Abdu'l-Baha about these institutions and their significance. Thirty April nineteen twelve Talk at Public Meeting Concluding Convention of Baha'i Temple Unity Among the Institutes of the Holy Books is that of the foundation of places of worship, that is to say, an edifice or temple is to be built in order that humanity may find a place of meeting, and this is to be conducive to unity and fellowship among them. The real temple is the very word of God. For it, all humanity must turn, and it is the center of unity for all mankind. It is the collective center, the cause of accord and communion of hearts, the sign of the solidarity of the human race, and the source of eternal life. Temples are the symbols of the divine uniting force, so that when the people gather therein the house of worship, they may recall the fact that the law has been revealed for them, and that the law is to unite them. They will realize that just as this temple was founded for the unification of mankind, 
the law preceding and creating it came forth in the manifest word. Jesus Christ, addressing Peter, said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. This utterance was indicative of the faith of Peter, signifying, This faith of thine, O Peter, is the very cause and message of the unity of the nations. It shall be the bond of union between the hearts of men and the foundation of the oneness of the world of humanity. In brief, the original purpose of temples and houses of worship is simply that of unity, places of meeting where various people, different races and souls of every capacity may come together in order that love and agreement should be manifest between them. That is why Baha'u'llah commanded that a place of worship be built for all the religionists of the world, that all religions, races, and sects may come together within its universal shelter, that the proclamation of the oneness of mankind shall go forth from its open courts of holiness, the announcement that humanity is the servant of God and that all are submerged in the ocean of His mercy. It is the Madrigalaskar, the world of existence may be likened to this temple and place of worship. For just as the external world is a place where the peoples of all races and colors, varying faiths, denominations, and conditions come together, just as they are submerged in the same sea of divine favors, so likewise all may meet under the dome of the Madrigalaskar and adore the one God in the same spirit of truth, for the ages of darkness have passed away, and the century of light has come. Ignorant prejudices are being dispelled, and the light of unity is shining. The differences existing between nations and peoples will soon be annulled, and the fundamentals of the divine religions, which are no other than the oneness and solidarity of the human race, are being established. For thousands of years, the human race has been at war. It is enough. Let mankind, for at least the time, consort in amity and peace. Enmity and hatred have ruled. Let the world for a period exercise love. For thousands of years, the nations have denied each other, considering each other as infidel and inferior. It is sufficient. We must now realize that we are servants of one God, that we turn to one beneficent Father, live under one divine law, seek one reality and have one desire. Thus may we live in the utmost friendship and love, and in return the favors and bounties of God shall surround us. The world of humanity will be reformed. Mankind enjoy a new life. Eternal light will illumine and heavenly moralities become manifest. Then divine policy shall govern the world, for the divine policy is the oneness of humanity. God is just and kind to all. He considers all as his servants. He excludes none, and his judgments are correct and true. No matter how complete human policy and foresight may appear, they are imperfect. If we do not seek the counsel of God, or if we refuse to follow His dictates, it is presumptive evidence that we are knowing and wise, whereas God is ignorant, that we are sagacious and God is not. God forbid! 
We seek shelter in his mercy for this suggestion. No matter how far the human intelligence may advance, it is still but a drop, while divine omniscience is the ocean. Shall we say that a drop is imbued or endowed with qualities of which the ocean is devoid? Shall we believe that the policy and plan of this atom of a human soul are superior to the wisdom of the omniscient? There is no greater ignorance than this. Briefly, some are mere children. With the utmost love, we must educate them to make them wise. Others are sick and ailing. We must tenderly treat them until they recover. Some have unworthy morals. We must train them towards the standard of true morality. Other than this, we are all servants of one God and under the providence and protection of one Father. These are the institutions of God and the foundation of his temple, the Madrigalaskar. The outer edifice is a symbol of the inner. May the people be admonished thereby. I pray in your behalf that your hearts may be enlightened with the light of the love of God, that your minds may develop daily, that your spirits may become aglow with the fire and illumination of his glad tidings, until the, these divine foundations may become established throughout the human world. The first of these institutions and foundations is the oneness of humanity and love among mankind. The second is the most great peace. Praise be to God. This American democracy manifests capacity, showing forth readiness to become the standard bearer of the most great peace. May its hosts be the hosts of the oneness of humanity. May they serve the threshold of God and spread the message of the good pleasure of God. And now to our third segment of the show, our roundtable discussion group. Hi, I'm Ian, and I'm in finance. Hi, I'm Jubin, and uh, I'm a stone carver. Hi, I'm Ingrid, and I'm a feng shui coach. I find what's very interesting, you know, in feng shui, we're always looking at the inner significance and the outer significance, and we're always saying that, in fact, the outer is a manifestation of the inner. And right away, Abdu'l-Bahá takes that in a whole different direction and says, but the real temple here is not the temple that's being built, but it's the very word of God. And so these places of worship are important because in Baha'i prayer, we in fact don't kind of spontaneously pray, although we may, but generally the type of prayer is about reading the verses of God, reading words that God sent to us through his prophets, reading holy words, and then reflecting on their meaning. And so in this, the real temple here is the place where we reflect on the word of God. One thing I keep, I keep thinking of is, is actually exactly what Ingrid was saying about the, uh, you know, in, in feng shui, the, 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 how everything is the outer manifestation uh, based on like its, its inner qualities. Um, basically the temple is that outer manifestation but it's but you know Abdul Baha says temples are the symbols of the divine uniting force, 
so that pe the people gather there in the house of God. It's like it's it's a constant reminder, you know, in 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 terms of physicality, because when we consider the physical world, it's it's the mo it's the first thing we think of. It's what our five senses are drawn to, and it's what immediately comes to our mind. And so if we have this, if we have this constant reminder in a physical sense, in the same way that, you know, like, for example, during the fast, we have this physical reminder of our hunger, which reminds us of its deeper implications, which is our spiritual growth and so on. We, with, with these temples, it's the physical reminder of, of, uh, of unity of collective worship in these things. And so it, it provides us a constant reminder of, you know, loving humanity for the sake of God. Yeah, it's really good. The, like as Baha'u'llah or Abdul Baha right in the very first sentence basically lays out like why, why do we build a temple in the first place? It's to, an edifice is, you know, uh, it's to be built so that they can gather so that people can find a place of meeting. So the purpose of it is to establish unity. So then you might think, okay, you know, there's all these humanitarian things you can do to build civilization. The temple isn't something abstract or it's not some thing that you just build. Uh, it's a symbol, but it's also a place of meeting. And, and it's like literally the first two sentences of it, he sort of laid out why we do this. What's the, what's the foundation of it? I think as a place of meeting, what Abdu'l-Bahá stresses again and again in the talk, that this is not a meeting place for Baha'is. It's a meeting place for all the peoples of the world, of whatever race, religion, background of all sorts. This is really a place where anyone can come in the, and in their own way, commune with God and, and worship God. And I think that is probably unique in the history of mankind, that these places of worship are built for everyone. And in fact, when you look at their construction, they're circular. They're about unity in every, in every facet, in every way that you can imagine. There are no edges. There are you know, only circles of unity and, and a dome, which again, unites everyone under one canopy, one dome. I like how uh, Abdu'l-Bahá takes it and then he goes from that. I think he's talking at the Masonic Temple in Chicago, Illinois. He's probably likely talking to a predominantly Christian, uh, uh, you know, group of people. And I like how he like prefaces it. And he starts with what Jesus Christ said that well, you know, uh, upon Peter I will build this rock. Because that's essentially the church's, you know, foundational statement of why they built the church. But then Abdul Baha is talking about not necessarily a physical church. He's talking about his faith. He says, "On Peter I will build." you know, this church, and then he goes on to say, you know, this, this unifying force, this is the real, you know, this is actually the word of God. So it's not dissimilar. Uh, he, he, it's very subtle, but he kind of makes that connection between that, that's why Baha'u'llah commanded the place of worship to be built, and he's, he's prefaced it that this is, this is a unifying principle, not necessarily a structure or a building. The church is more like an institution rather than a building. It was, then he segues into into this is the century of light and what's going on with all of this or what's where this is all leading to. He kind of leaves that once that topic is sort of established and said this is to establish the foundation of the oneness of the world. Then he goes on to say, okay, well, we've tried fighting. We've been at war. We've, you know, nations have considered each other inferior and uh, now is the time to put all this stuff aside, essentially. He kind of goes off into, he goes off into, into a sort of like a, a justification, if you want, or, or 
a trial of why unity is important in the first place. And he kind of ends it with, with you know, that this is all, all actually all under, we're all really all under one father. He keeps repeating this, that we're all servants of one God under the providence and protection of one, you know, one father. It's, um, it, this unity theme is really what he's getting across. That's his main, he starts with the temple, but really he's talking about unity. You know, that concept of the century of light has come. You know, so many people will look at the doom and gloom in the world, and especially the economic doom and gloom we have now, and they can't see, in fact, that, that the separateness, the we and they kind of concepts are slowly giving way. Just, just recently, we're seeing in the United States now that interracial marriage is on a great increase. People are going past seeing them and us and beginning to see each as being just the same member of this, the same human family. And we are in fact starting to exercise love. When disasters happen, everyone in the world rallies around. When someone dies who's, who's a famous character, everyone in the world mourns for that person. We have become, in fact, a, a sea of humanity. And this is what Abdu'l-Bahá over 100 years ago was foreseeing. Coming back to, coming back to the temple being an, an outward manifestation of the inner, it's a, it's a way to, to make these two ideas, the, the inner and the outer, being coherent. We have the, the master class car as basically an institution uh, where we can, we can actually enact social transformation. And, and Abdu'l-Bahá kind of, kind of goes into the, uh, the kinds of dependencies that the Mesocral Azkar has. But it's, it's also interesting that the Mesocral Azkar also has this component of, of personal uh, spiritual transformation at, in the mode of collective worship, or even, even personal worship. And so it's, 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 it's very interesting to see that you know, the Mesocral Azkar is not only uh, a vehicle where we have both personal and social transformation, but is itself an outer symbol of this this inner this inner uh, idea of well. No, I agree. I, no, <laughs> I, I gotta just you're, you're totally right because just its existence promotes the thing it's supposed to, which is unity. It's. You know, I'll tell you a story. I was on my way to somewhere. I can't remember. I was flying overseas and I was flying through Chicago. I had like a six-hour stopover. So I uh, decided, okay, I'm going to take the train from the airport and go and visit the temple. And I took the train to the last stop that it would go to and found that I still had to take a cab to get to the temple. So it was late at night. I found a cab. I get in the cab and as I'm driving there, I, I, I tell the guy where I'm going, I'm going to the Wilmet Temple, you know, the Baha'i Temple. And on the road, he's like, oh, that's a very good place. You should go inside. You should visit it. He doesn't know I'm a Baha'i, notwithstanding the fact. He doesn't know any of that. I just come from the World Center. So I say, oh, yeah, yeah, go on. He's like, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's not like the church or the other things like that. They let everyone in. This is the cab driver. He's telling me, he's like, it's a beautiful place. You have to go inside. They let anyone come in and they let anyone pray. Anyone. If you're Muslim, they let you. Christian, Buddhist, they let you. You go, it's quiet, it's peaceful, it's beautiful. Those are the things he said to me multiple times. He says, it's beautiful, it's peaceful, they let anyone there. It was like a place of unity, you should go visit it. And he compared it to a church, I remember. He says, they take everyone. It was really interesting. Here's a cab driver, and he's, 
He's not a Baha'i, but he's essentially teaching. He's essentially promoting unity without even realizing what he's doing, really. It's really interesting. And then he dropped me off and he said, it's closed probably, do you want me to wait for you? So, yeah, he waited for me. I went and I walked around. It was closed at that time. But uh, then I got back in the cab and I drove back. It was, <laughs> it was, it was awesome. It's, and, you know, when we live in this way of friendship and love, Abdu'l-Baha tells us, in return, the favors and bounties of God shall surround us. I mean, this, this place of worship is a place of the utmost beauty, not only the beauty of the building that about 250,000 people a year flock to, but the gardens, the fountains, the pools of water, it, it, you know, from a feng shui perspective, it's absolute harmony amongst all of the elements. And you see these bounties and favors in the, in the beauty of it. And, and in the same way, if, if humanity starts to turn towards God and live under God's laws, laws of unity and love and truth and justice, bounties and favors will come back to us. We will leave behind these old, these old ideas of, of wars, right? And, and haves and have nots. We will live in a way that honors God and brings out, as you said, the personal spiritual transformation makes us be the noble beings that we were created to be. That's it for our podcast this week. Special thanks to Christine Asuncion for playing Nettie Tilwin and Deborah Dektiar for reading. Also thanks, too, to our guests, Jubin Nakai, Ingrid Hawk, and Ian Carter for participating in the Roundtable Discussion Group. If you'd like more information about Abdu'l-Baha's travels in the West, visit our website at www.thejourneywest.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Journey West. Thanks, everyone. Bye.